second sermon this morning from God's Word, I want to begin by taking you back to the first lesson at the 9 o'clock hour. I want to begin by taking you back to what the Apostle Paul taught us in the book of Colossians about Jesus. Remember in Colossians chapter 1, Paul taught us that Jesus is king. And he is God and he is the firstborn or the preeminent one over all creation and from the dead. These are the things that Paul emphatically teach us about Jesus. The question is, do you believe this? Do you believe these things about Jesus? Do you believe he's the king? And that he is God and that he is the firstborn over all creation. My friends, if you believe these things about your Savior, Jesus Christ, then I also hope that you will believe their main implication. I also hope that you will believe that since Jesus is all of these things, then that means, that means he has authority. That means he has authority over me. And he has authority over you. He has the right to tell you exactly how to live your life, and you're absolutely obligated to do what he says. That is the main implication of these things. And sadly, for the vast majority of people in this world, they don't accept that. They don't accept the inherent authority of Jesus. They don't accept the fact that he has the right to tell them how to live their lives. And I guess... Well, I guess we shouldn't be surprised by that, right? I guess we shouldn't be surprised that worldly people who are determined to live their lives however they desire would reject the inherent authority of Jesus. But what about the people in this room? What about the people who are gathered in this place on a Sunday to sing church songs and to pray prayers and take the Lord's Supper and hear preaching and teaching from the word of God and even give some of their hard-earned money in a collection basket. Do the people in this room believe that as the king and the creator, Jesus has authority in the ultimate say-so in every aspect of our lives? Do we believe that he has the authority to set the rules for marriage? Do we believe that as the king, he has the authority to determine who's allowed to get married and how people are to conduct themselves in marriage? Do we believe that as God, he has the authority to tell people when it is appropriate for them to have sex? Do we believe that he has the authority to tell women what to do with a child inside their body? Do we believe that he has the authority to instruct parents on how to raise their children? Do we believe that he has the authority to tell us what we can drink and what we can watch and what we can say and even how we are to treat other people? What about this as well? What about, what about how we dress? What about the kind of clothes we buy? and put on our bodies. Do we believe that Jesus, as the king and as God, has the authority to have the ultimate say-so in that aspect of our lives as well? 
As you think about that, I want you to go in your Bible, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. You might as well just park yourself at 1 Timothy chapter 2 because that is going to be the main text we're going to be considering this morning. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, and in verse number 9, as Paul talks about Christian conduct, he says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. I want to ask you to ponder on those verses for just a moment or two. I submit that these verses right here may be among the most controversial verses in all the Bible. They are controversial, not just for the people of the world, but also among God's very own people. You see, unfortunately, for so many of God's very own people, they have no problem championing what God has to say about the sin of adultery. Or the sin of drunkenness or the sin of abortion or even worshiping God with instrumental music, but begin a discussion with them about what the Bible says about modesty. And for many Christians, they'll begin to squirm. Some will become hostile and uncomfortable. Many will begin thinking to themselves, well, I don't care what God has to say about this. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. Some even suggest that this is solely a man's problem or solely a woman's problem. Some say that men need to learn to do a better job, job bouncing their eyes no matter what a woman is wearing. And some say that women are the only ones who need to learn to dress modestly. And others say, well, preachers, they're the problem. Preachers just need to be quiet about this issue and don't even address it from the pulpit. You know, I can remember when I was getting ready to leave from Florida to go do local work in Middle Tennessee at the end of 2012. And one of my final sermons that I preached in Florida was a lesson very similar to the one I'm going to preach today. And after I preached that sermon, one of the older sisters came up to me and she said, Sean, whenever you get to Middle Tennessee, the first sermon you need to preach is this sermon right here. So if they're going to fire you, they go ahead and just get it over with. She said, you don't, you don't need to prolong that two or three years down the line. Make this the first sermon that you preach. You see, that woman, that woman was a woman of experience. That woman had been around the block a little bit. She knew how many Christians respond to the preaching about modesty, but I have higher expectations of the wonderful brethren here. After being here for a little over three years now, I know that for the wonderful brethren here, you love the truth. I know you love the whole counsel of God. I know that most of you have honest hearts and you just want to please God in every aspect of your life. In fact, I want to suggest that when it comes to this aspect of your life and my life, when it comes to the issue of modesty, it is not solely a man's problem or solely a woman's problem. Instead, this is, this is a heart problem. This is a heart matter. This is a heart issue. You see, we got to understand that when it comes to the issue of modesty, modesty begins with the heart. 
Modesty begins inside a person's heart. That is what Paul is talking about here in these verses. We got to understand that in these verses, Paul is not dealing with specific clothing brands. He's not dealing with Gucci or Polo or Versace. He's not dealing with precise measurements of the hemline above the kneecaps. You're not going to find that teaching anywhere in the New Testament. He's not even dealing with clear black letter sins like lying and murder and stealing and adultery. We know when we commit those kind of sins, Paul's not dealing with that here. Instead, Paul is dealing with a principle. He's dealing with a general principle. He's dealing with the principle of modesty that should guide our thinking and decisions when it comes to the kind of clothes we choose to wear. He is saying that when it comes to the kind of clothes we choose to wear, that decision needs to be guided by modesty. It needs to be guided by modesty and decency. In fact, I believe that there are at least four questions. There are at least four questions about modesty that we all, whether we are male or female, need to ask ourselves before we even put on our clothes to make sure that we properly apply the principle that Paul lays down here. And here's the first question right here. Before we even put on clothes, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is who's influencing this decision? Who is influencing this decision about this attire that I'm choosing to wear? I'm going back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm looking at verse number 9. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 9, Paul says, likewise, I want women. Now notice how Paul here is speaking to women here in the context. And he says, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. I want you to notice a couple of very important aspects of this verse. First, I want you to notice the permissive aspect of this verse. I want you to notice the permissive element of this verse. Notice how Paul says to women, he says, women, it is okay to adorn yourself. It is okay for you to adorn yourself. It's okay for you to look like a woman and dress like a woman. You don't have to walk around with a paper bag over your head. You don't have to walk around with a sheet over your head like a ghost with two little holes poked out, cut out so you can avoid having to run into a wall. The Bible doesn't say you got to do that. The Bible doesn't say you have to do that. The Bible acknowledges over and over again that women are beautiful creations of God and it is okay for them to adorn themselves. It is okay for them to adorn themselves as women, but at the same time, when it comes to the things they adorn themselves in, it needs to be directed by the principle of modesty. It needs to be modest. This word modest that Paul uses here is a very interesting word. It is actually a word that means to shrink back. It means to shrink back from the boundaries of propriety. It carries the idea of good behavior and being orderly and proper, doing the best you can to not wear clothes that, that come close to crossing the line. The line that separates good from bad. The line that separates what is decent and proper from what is inappropriate and provocative. The line that separates their, your virtue and godliness and the kind of clothing you choose to wear or 
the kind of clothing that can cause other people to blush and even become uncomfortable. As Christians, we shouldn't want to get close to that line. We shouldn't want to come right up to that line. We shouldn't want to, to get as close to that line as possible. We shouldn't want to flirt with it. We shouldn't want to look at it. We shouldn't even want to get one inch from it. As Christians, Paul is saying, we need to stay away from that line. We need to get away from that line as far as possible. Whenever we're in the store and we're trying on some clothes and we begin to think to ourselves, well, maybe this is too short. Or maybe this is too tight or maybe this is too low. The principle of modesty should kick into our conscience and prod us to not even take the chance. It should prod us to not even get close to the line. It should prod us to shrink back, to stay away from the boundary of propriety. That's what Paul is saying. Modesty causes us to shrink back. But notice how that's not the only thing that Paul mentions in the text. Notice how in verse number nine, again, in addition to talking about adorning yourself in proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, he also says not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. Now, what is Paul saying there? Is he saying that it is wrong for a woman to braid her hair? Is he saying that it is wrong for her to wear jewelry? Is it wrong for her to, to wear gold and pearls and, and costly garments? Is that what Paul's saying there? Well, there are some who actually take that literal view, and I believe that doing so completely misses the point. It completely misses the point of what Paul is saying there. You see, while in the first part, when Paul talks about modesty, there he's talking about the need for Christians to make sure they don't underdress. In this part of the verse, Paul is saying, that we also need to make sure that we don't overdress. We don't need to underdress. We don't need to overdress. By overdress, we mean that as Christians, we shouldn't pick clothes with the intention in our hearts to be arrogant and put on a show and draw attention to ourselves because we want the world, world to know that we got money, we're rich, and we got high status in society. Paul says that that's wrong too. We don't need to underdress and we don't need to put on a show and overdress. Practically speaking, what Paul is saying here to us is when we as Christians buy clothes, when we put on clothes, when we pick clothes to wear to school or to, to the job or to work or even the church, we got to be careful. We got to be careful. We got to make sure we got the right mindset. We got to make sure we have the right hearts. We certainly need to make sure that we avoid letting the world have a say-so in this process. We need to avoid letting Hollywood have a say-so in this process. We need to avoid letting the singers and the athletes and the actresses and the, and the actors and the so-called fashion experts in our culture have a say-so in this process. If we let those people have a say-so in this process, guess what? The bar is going to be pretty low. The standard is going to be pretty low. The standard is not going to be anything close to pleasing God. Hollywood and the actors and the actresses and the singers and the athletes, they're going this way when it comes to modesty, and God's going a totally different way. He's going a totally different way. You see, if we follow where the world is going on this, 
We're going to be all about appearance. We're going to be all about skin and sexiness and showing body parts and being seductive and having a motive that shouts to the world, look at me. Look at what I have on. Look at my body. That's where the world wants us to go. That's the world standard. But the standard of Jesus is very different. The standard of Jesus is godliness. The standard of Jesus is righteousness. The standard of Jesus is modesty. The standard of Jesus, it stands far away from the boundary of propriety as possible. It is not about picking clothes. It's about us and our bodies and being sexy and provocative. That is not the standard of Jesus. That's the standard of the world. You see, the Hollywood folks, the vast majority of them are as by as corrupt of people on the face of the planet. The fashion designers, they're not concerned with serving Jesus. They're not concerned with promoting the gospel. They're not concerned with modesty and boundaries and virtue. Anything that falls in line with the moral standard of the gospel, they're enemies of the gospel, not people who promote the gospel. And so whether we're male or female, whether we are male or female, when picking clothes, we got to ask ourselves, okay, who is influencing this decision? Where am I taking my cue from? Who am I trying to please? Am I trying to please God? Am I trying to please Jesus? Am I trying to bring glory to God? Or am I trying to please the world? Am I trying to be like the world? Am I trying to have the same kind of motivations with my clothing that the world does? In Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2, in Romans chapter 12, in verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We can't serve two masters when it comes to this. We can't expect to please God and please the world at the same time before even putting on clothes. I need to ask myself, who's influencing this decision? Who's influencing this attire? And then I need to ask this question. Is this attire encouraging or discouraging lust? Is it encouraging or discouraging lust? You know, we currently live in a world that's all about lust, isn't it? It's all about lust. Our society is immersed in lust. It's lust everywhere we go. It is immersed in sex and sexual immorality and sexual images. You go to a sport event, you go to a football game, you go to a basketball game, and the entertainment offered during every timeout and every halftime show, it's all about what? It's all about encouraging lust, isn't it? You, you stand in the, in the grocery aisle getting ready to check out at Fry's, you look to the right, you look to the, do I know my left or my right? My left here, you look to the left, you look to the right. And what do you see? You see magazines with covers on them that is designed to encourage you to lust. When celebrities walk down the red carpet, every other commercial that comes on television, you encounter people in the world at a theme park, at Disney World, at Disneyland, you encounter them at a restaurant, the mall, even at the gym, and often people are dressed in a way that is designed to encourage you to lust. That is the kind of world that we're living in right now. 
That's the kind of culture we're raising kids in right now. And that is a big problem for us as Christians because the Bible says lust is a sin. Looking upon another with sexual desire is a sin. I'm going to Matthew chapter five. I'm looking at what Jesus says in Matthew, the fifth chapter and verse number 27 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. OK, we know that we got that. But verse 28 says, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus makes the point very clear. Jesus says that lust is a sin. Lust is adultery. Lust is adultery of the heart. It is something that will cause us to lose our souls. That's what the Lord says here. And if I can be frank with you this morning and honest with you, what Jesus says here is a bigger problem for men than it is for women. It is a bigger problem for men even Christian men than it is for women. Not saying that women can't struggle with this and sometimes don't struggle with this, but the fact of the matter is men, even Christian men, struggle with this far more. Job struggled with this in his day. That's why Job said in Job 31 and verse number one, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How could I gaze at a virgin? Notice how even the great man of God, the blameless man of God, Job, he fought this battle. He waged this battle every single day. Every single day he had to discipline himself and bounce his eyes away from things he was not supposed to look at. And he needed to do that. Every man needs to do what Job is talking about here. But that doesn't mean that Christian women don't have a responsibility to do the very best they can to dress modest. That doesn't mean that sisters in Christ, and I'm talking to sisters in Christ, that doesn't mean that sisters in Christ don't have a responsibility to avoid dressing in such a way that encourages men to look at their cleavage and their legs and their backside. Regardless of what the Lord has to say about the sin of lust, Christian women have a responsibility to dress modestly. Christian, women's have, Christian women have that responsibility regardless of what men do and someone's thinking right now well Sean some men are going to lust no matter what a woman has on some women are thinking well some men are going to lust Sean whether a woman's got on a turtleneck or a skirt down to her ankles or, or she's wearing a burqa some people are thinking that right now for those people this is what I want to know okay that may be right but what's your point what, what are you trying to say with that where, where are you going with that where are you going with that kind of logic? Okay, some men are going to lust no matter what you have on, but just because some men act like animals and they practice no holiness and no discipline, does that mean that God now gives you permission to dress however you want to dress? Is that what you're trying to say? Or are you trying to say that, hey, because some men have no self-control, God lets me dress however I want. It doesn't matter how I dress. I don't need to have any concern about my attire. Is that what you're trying to say? I hope that's not what you're trying to say. I hope you understand that while it is true, while it is true, that there is no perfect attire that guarantees that no one will look upon you with lust, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to do your very best 
to discourage it. That doesn't mean that God now gives you permission to dress sexy and to desire to be provocative and draw all kinds of attention to yourself. God doesn't want fat going on as well. And so before, whether we're male or female, before we put on anything, we need to ask ourselves some questions. We need to ask ourselves, will this clothing, will this attire cause someone to lust after me? Will this attire draw someone, draw some attention to parts of my body that people who are not my spouse are not supposed to be feasting their eyes on? I believe that if we ask ourselves an honest question like that, we're going to stay away from certain kind of clothing. We're going to stay away from short shorts. We're going to stay away from short skirts. We're going to stay away from see-through shirts, swimsuits on the beach, and dresses that are tight and show a lot of cleavage. We're not going to wear any of that kind of stuff because we know. We know that stuff encourages lust. It encourages lust on my job. It encourages lust at the gym. It encourages lust at the beach. It encourages lust on your college campus, young people, and at camp, and even, even at church. Is this clothing encouraging or discouraging lust? And then thirdly, let's take it this way. What does this clothing say about me? What does it say about me? I'm going to my Bible to 1 Peter. And once again, Peter here is, is speaking to sisters in the church. He's talking to sisters here who are married to men who are not Christians. And he says in 1 Peter 3, verse 1, In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment, what you wear, must not be merely external, braiding the hair, hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. That shouldn't be what you're all about. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Notice where Peter is putting the emphasis on for women. He is saying there needs to be more about the Christian woman than her outside appearance. The most important thing about the Christian woman and by extension, the Christian man should be the heart. It should be the inside. These verses are focusing on inner beauty. If we get our hearts right with God on the inside, the outside of the cup will naturally be what it's supposed to be. It reminds me again, going back to Paul. Look at Paul again in 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Now, I know so often when we read these verses, we like to focus on verse 9. We think verse 9 is the most important verse in this section. And while it is an important verse, I submit the most important verse is actually verse 10. Verse 10 is actually the most important verse in this section. Notice how Paul says that when it comes to the clothes we choose to wear, our clothes, our clothes talk. 
Our clothes speak. They testify. They announce to others the truth about our faith in Jesus Christ and our commitment to God and our submission to his authority. Our clothes send messages to the world. They send messages like I'm either selfish and I'm sexy and I'm flashy and I'm superficial and fleshly minded or I'm meek. And I'm humble and I'm godly and I'm a true believer of the faith that I claim to be part of. It reminds me of what Jesus told us in Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16? Before Jesus even got down to the part about lust and adultery of the heart. In Matthew 5 and verse 16, in verse 16, Jesus said, let your light let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus here is saying the same thing as Paul. Both Jesus and Paul are saying the same thing. They are telling us that as we live our lives every single day, we got to be mindful that the world is watching us. We got to be mindful of how the world sees us. We got to be mindful of how we talk and how we walk and how we treat other people and even how we dress. We got to be mindful of all that stuff because the world is looking. They're watching. They're watching to see if our claim to be followers of Jesus Christ is backed up with proper conduct in every aspect of our lives. This means that whether we are male or female, there are some questions that we need to ask ourselves before we buy clothes and put on clothes. We need to ask ourselves, does this clothing, does this attire back up my claim to be a disciple? Does it back up my claim to be godly? Does it back up my claim to be holy and pure and a follower of somebody who promotes the high standard of morality? Does it back up the life of someone who's been born again? Does it back up the life of someone who's supposed to be a new creature? Does it back up the life of someone who's supposed to be transformed by the renewing of my mind? As Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 2. Does it help me do evangelism? Does it help me share the gospel? Will this clothing encourage others to take me seriously while I invite them to church or to have a Bible study or when I talk with them about my faith? Or will this clothing cause other people to laugh at me and, and mock me and view me as a hypocrite because they can clearly see that my attire isn't proper for a person professing godliness? What does his clothing say about me? And then finally, the most important question is, is, is God pleased? Is God pleased? One more time. One more time for the sake of emphasis. 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 2, 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. As we emphasize and try to talk about this last point, I think it is important 
that we remind ourselves of who is responsible for these verses being put in the Bible. I think it is important that we remind ourselves that the Apostle Paul, he's not responsible for these verses being put in the Bible. I'm not responsible for these verses being put in the Bible. No elder or preacher is responsible for these verses being put in the Bible. Instead, God, God is responsible for these verses being put in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is responsible for these verses being put in the Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. For training in righteousness so that the man of God or woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When Paul says that all scripture is inspired by God, he means all. He means every book, every chapter, every verse, every word. He means even the stuff that makes us uncomfortable, even the teaching about modesty, whether we like it or not. You see, this issue matters to God. If it didn't matter to God, it wouldn't be in the Bible. And if it matters to God, guess who else it should matter to? It should matter to us. It should matter to all of us. It should matter to every disciple. It doesn't matter if you are a male or a female. It should be on our minds every time we pick clothes to wear. It should be on our minds when we're on vacation. It should be a principle that guides what we wear, not just at church, but at the beach. And at the gym. And at school. And it should also help us determine whether or not we're going to take up a particular extracurricular activity. It should be a principle that we constantly drill into the mind of our children, especially if we have young daughters. As difficult as it is to find modest clothing for young daughters, and believe me, I know about that firsthand, we still need to do our very best to get that kind of clothing, modest clothing. The moms need to set an example when it comes to that. The fathers need to make sure their daughters are dressing in a modest way. In fact, beyond families holding each other accountable when it comes to this, the entire family of God should do the same. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 5, well, I'll start with verse number 3. These may be the most neglected verses in all the Bible and all the New Testament. But it says in Titus chapter 2 and verse 3, older women, it's speaking to the older women here in the church, likewise ought to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women. Encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible and pure. And workers at home kind being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Notice how Paul says that older women in the church, seasoned women in the church, have a responsibility to help the young women be sensible and pure. I submit that part of helping younger women be sensible and pure sometimes involves helping them learn to be modest. It sometimes involves pulling the young women aside and showing them in love what the scriptures say, helping those young women in the church who may be showing too much skin that, hey, you need to do better. You need to be a better example 
as a servant of God. Older women have that responsibility, and younger women need to have some humility. They need to have the humility to accept the instruction of the godly older woman and understand that that woman is only doing what God has told her to do, and that is help her spiritually develop to the glory of God. This is serious business. This is a serious matter to God, and we got to help each other. We got to hold each other accountable. We got to hold our spouse accountable. We got to help our children. We got to make sure that we're truly submitting to God as the king and the Lord, even in this part of our lives. This is not optional. This is not something where we can let our egos and our pride close our ears to the truth. Someone may go home today and say, I didn't like that sermon. I'm mad at the preacher. Well, you're really mad at God. Because God put it in the Bible. God commands us to be modest. And I believe questions like this can help us, can help us do that at a high level. And let me just say this. I know this is not the most pleasant lesson to hear. I, I know that. I know there are 50 other topics you'd rather hear about. You'd rather hear about love and grace and faith and good works. And I, I get that. I, I'd rather preach about that stuff. I'd rather preach about a hundred other things than this. But let me tell you something. My job as a preacher isn't just to preach to you the stuff I like or the stuff that you like. My job is to give you the whole counsel of God. It's to preach all the truth. If it's in the Bible, guess what? I'm going to preach it. I'm going to teach it. I'm going to help the people of God make sure that they know all of God's will so that they can submit to Jesus fully as the king and as God. And so maybe there's someone here this morning and you say, I have not submitted myself to Jesus as the king and as, and as God. You have an opportunity as we get ready to sing this invitation to do that. To do that for the first time maybe. To believe in him and confess that faith and repent of your sins. And clothe yourself in him by being baptized for the remission of your sins. If there's someone here this morning who needs to clothe himself in the righteousness of Jesus through baptism, come to the front right now and we'll help you.